This is FBG Jen and FBG Kristen. And I'm FBG Margo, host and producer. You're listening to the podcast that will help you keep a lid on the junk in the trunk and inspire you to live a happy and confident life. Each episode, we chat with motivational experts and celebs and share our own candid adventures in being healthy. If you're looking for a podcast that's equal parts hilarious and enlightening, well then welcome to the Fit Bottom Girls podcast. Welcome back to the Fit Bottom Girls podcast. This is FBG Margo, and on the line today, we have Jen. Hey, guys. And we have Kristen. Hi, everyone. And Kristen and I did this interview. Our guest is Kat Lincoln, and she's so smart and cool and interesting. You guys are going to love her. This is a part of our Like a Boss series. And Kristen, why don't you tell us a little bit about Kat and how you know her? Sure. So Kat is... Um one of the founders and CEO of Clever, which is a social media agency. And I met her years and years ago when she and I were both working, we were bloggers for AOL and we were writing for a couple of the same sites and just clicked immediately online. And um, so we met in person maybe, I don't know if we'd even known each other virtually a year, we went to blog her and she was like, Hey, come and we'll, you know, we'll, I'd never gone. I think she'd gone other years because she'd had her own blog for a while. And she's like, come, we can room together. It'll be great. And I was like, okay, cool. So I went and, uh, she had already checked in, but wasn't in the room. And I walk in and there's, <laughs> she might kill me for sharing this. There's a <laughs> blow up doll in one of the beds, just like sitting up looking at me and not like, not like a sex doll, just like a big giant like life-size person um, <laughs> doll because it, uh, she was working on um, this campaign with with Ford and it's it was a whole long story but it was just hilarious to walk in and I'm already I'm like I'm in where was I I was in Chicago staying with this girl who I'd never met in person and she wasn't there and I'm like going into the room and then there's a, a big blow-up doll there and I was like oh okay and uh, I think I get a text like a few minutes later she's like hey by the way, just so you're not scared when you walk in, I'm like, yeah, a little late, yeah, thanks. <laughs> but yeah, so since then, we, we've just always stayed in touch. I actually worked for her um, for a couple of years when, um, when Clever was, was uh, early days growing. And yeah, like when I'm, if I'm in San Francisco, she's pretty much the first person I, I call to make sure I get to say hello. And um, yeah, I just, I was really excited that she was available to to talk because she like what they what they've been doing you know we I think I say a lot that like what I do for a living now didn't exist when I was in school and what I love is that she started a, a business with her best friend and they just started doing something that didn't even exist when when it started so I I love that and I think that there are a lot of a lot of parallels in some ways to kind of how she's gone about it and and what I've ended up doing so it's fascinating to watch watch her and watch her business grow. That is so interesting like you said that. That is like a boss. But yeah, I didn't study for this, what I do now. I mean, writing and editing, sure. But like the podcasting and other things that I do, like you said, it didn't exist then. So that is interesting how we did. Yeah, we made that. We do this every day now for a living. And wow, you just blew my mind there, Kristen. Sorry about that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like I, you know, we have, we have degrees. It, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> 
So Cat's business is a virtual one, and they have no set vacation policy, which I think is so cool. And it's the same thing when we talk to Derek at uh, Greatest, which I think is just amazing. She's also an expert traveler. She loves to travel. And I wanted to ask you guys today, what is your dream vacation destination if money were no object, if you could take as much time as you want and didn't even have to worry about the cost? Where would you go? Jen, you go first. So I thought a lot about this question, and I don't think it's fully a cop-out answer. But I do think it would require hours upon hours upon hours of research to accomplish what I want to do, which is basically do a worldwide tour of like the best wine growing areas of the world. So <laughs> I would yeah. want to go to, yeah, like I would want to go like a whole trip. And I mean, maybe, maybe I could just be like, okay, I'm going to go to like Chile and Argentina or like New Zealand, or it's going to be more like France and Spain or Australia. I don't know, but I, I love wine country. Any wine country I've been to, whether it's in, you know, California or, like, even the state of Missouri or Kansas, like, I just find it beautiful and peaceful, and um, I love wine, and I love the process of, of wine, and I love people who are into wine. Like, I love the conversations. So um, that's what I would do. I would go on, like, a worldwide wine tour. And if anyone has suggestions of, like, the best wineries or locations to go to, feel free to tweet me them at fit bottom girl nice. talk about wine yes. yeah <laughs> what about you Kristen? oh this is such a hard one for me because there are a thousand places i want to go and i'm not nearly as well traveled as i would like to be but i think i'm not sure why but i am i tend to be very open to like signs from the universe and i have been getting africa 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 over and over for months now. Yeah. So I think that going, doing like an amazing safari, uh, a friend of mine who, um, her name is Allison and she, I think she's editor in chief for the fine line mag, which is a really cool publication for the record. She just shared some about her like kind of once in a lifetime African adventure where they hit numerous places and just, I, I, I just found myself like living it along with her. And I, I realized like, that's the thing that I really want to do. And it's funny cause that was never at the top of my list. It was always on the list, but not at the top. But yeah, I just, I feel almost a little desperate to, um, to go and really have that experience. Calling to you. It is. Yes. And also let's, let's be clear. Like this is a photography safari, like, like pictures, not shooting things. Oh yes, obviously. yes. I don't, I don't yeah, shoot things, and yeah. I no. would like for people to not do that when I'm there. So, um, so yeah, photography. Nice. So, yeah, Margot. So my dream and what's been calling to me for about a year or two now is Australia, New Zealand. I've never been to either place. My brother lived there for two years, and just at the time, it was in 2008, 2009, when the market was really bad, and I had to hold on to every single penny, and I, I've always regretted it because he just tr he loves to travel, and he does it right. When he moves someplace, he, he explores everywhere, and he's I've always seen the pictures and his stories and stuff like that, and it just seems such a beautiful place and there's so much to do and the people are so cool and no one ever comes back from Australia or New Zealand and said Ugh, that sucked <laughs> you know that's true <laughs> <laughs> they always just like smile and they talk about the people and so that that's that's what my dream would be be Australia and New Zealand all of it and everywhere everywhere everywhere, everywhere. <laughs> love it yes 
So why don't we get right into today's interview? It's with Kat Lincoln, and she's super cool. Welcome back to the Fit Bottom Girls podcast. Kat Lincoln is the founder and CEO of Clever, an award-winning multi-million dollar influencer marketing agency. In November 2013, Clever was proud to partner with Make-A-Wish and lead the online strategy and execution of the global phenomenon, hashtag BatKid. Clever was recognized as one of the top 50 fastest growing private companies by the Silicon Valley Business Journal and named by Inc. Magazine as one of the fastest growing private companies. In 2015, Kat was recognized as a Fortune 500 executive and awarded top women in media by Folio Magazine. In addition to experience, which includes roles at Wells Fargo and ADP, Kat was a professional lifestyle blogger for AOL, Uptake, and Babbel, and she is the co-author of Influencer Marketing for Dummies. Kat is an in-demand speaker presenting on influencer marketing strategy and leadership at conferences across the country. She's here today to talk about her best advice for starting a business, creating a supportive work environment, and the perks of being a boss. Welcome to the show, Kat Lincoln. Thank you so much. It's a pleasure to be here. Well, it's our pleasure to have you. So this is Margo, and on the line today, we have Kristen. Hey, guys. Hello. So I'm going to ask – hello. <laughs> so I'm going to ask they're, – they're old friends, by the way, you guys. I'm going to ask the first question. So Kat, I mentioned Bat Kid in your intro, and I remember that day I was in my little home office watching KGO TV online, crying my little eyes out, watching that whole – spectacle happened. It was so spectacular, I should say. Can you tell us a little bit about what happened? What brought that bad kid day together? Because there just must have been so many moving parts to manage. Well, thanks. Yeah, it was. it's a thrilling day, and it's one of those things that we're humbled and honored and thrilled to be associated with. And it was, it was a pretty spectacular day. And even now I get a little bit of, I get a little chill Mm -hmm. when I talk about it. So pretty much everyone I talk to about it says that they were crying at some point. So you're in good company. The day itself, well, we had a big 11 days to lead up to it. And I kind of love telling the story because it it says a lot about how my two co-founders and I work together. So Stefania Pomponi, who's one of my co-founders and also coincidentally my best friend of 20 years, we started a company together, which you're not supposed to do, but one of the first rules we broke. She was on Reddit, I believe, and she noticed a little uh, a post about, hey, we're going to do something for this kid. Make-A-Wish had posted that they were going to do something for uh, this guy, this little kid, Miles, and they hoped that some people would come out and cheer him on and just that there'd be some some people on the street. Well, Stefania saw that and recognized immediately that it was something that would, just because of the story and the relatability and just the heartstrings and everything about it, it would really catch on if it had some social media push behind it. So she reached out to them, offered to do a pro bono, um, to do to do a pro bono program for them. They responded immediately back, "Oh my gosh, yes!" Because they didn't have any money to do any kind of more traditional um, outreach. And the rest of it is, you know, kind of it's it's in the it's in a documentary. It's there's lots of uh, lots of documentation about it. But the kind of prosaic answer is that we just did for Batkid what we do for all of our clients, in that we figured out, you know, we set the structure, we set the hashtag Batkid, we got it everywhere, we made it really simple and easy for people to find it. So with the SF Batkid hashtag, and then we uh, gave people something to do which was for them to cheer Miles on. And yeah, I was hard, it's, you're right. There are so many moving parts. Sometimes it's hard to even figure out which part to talk about. <laughs> <laughs> you know, one of the fun things that I like to actually, one of the fun things I like to mention, because like I said, there are a lot of different places where you can see the story of the day. And, you know, props to the Make-A-Wish Foundation, by the way, for doing an amazing job 
the thing that I'm so proud about our team that, that our team did, the part that we contributed besides the strategy and the planning is that we had about 17 people on the team. And one of the hardest things for companies to do is to really empower their, their team members or their, if they're working with influencers to really be okay with influencers speaking about them or for them. And we had empowered everyone on our team to really get out there and interact with people and to help the conversation continue. And every single person on our team was just so involved and dedicated and excited to do it. Uh, we have this one person, Carmen, who's a huge San Francisco Warriors fan. And so when Steph Curry was cheering on Miles, Carmen was so excited to be able to be like, thanks so much, and, you know, just, just to interact with him. That was, that was really great. That was a big part of, I think, why we were able to get things going. Yeah, I mean, definitely a team team effort, team atmosphere. I mean, am I correct in remembering that President Obama weighed in there? At he did. Yeah. He did, yeah. He did his very <laughs> first Vine, um, which is kind of funny because it was the first Vine, and Vines have gone away now. <laughs> yes. <laughs> As we know. It speaks to how ephemeral things are in this in the just online social media internet industry. Yep. We we say here all the time we're like adapt or die, you know? Yes. Which clearly you're very familiar with. Now Clever started out as Clever Girls Collective way back in the day. But I know that it's you know, it's not all about girls and women. So I wondered if you could speak a little bit about how you you changed the name from Clever Girls to Clever and the fact that I know that you do have men on your team and you work with mm-hmm. numerous male influencers, but you also are always having this like really serious female empowerment vibe happening. And before we actually started recording, you mentioned your hashtag run it like a girl. So mm-hmm. I, I just wonder like how do you foster that that atmosphere and you know really promote the Girl power seems way too soft for what you do. Well, thank you. And and it's funny that you say that because people, one of the reasons that we moved from, that we changed from Clever Girls to Clever is because Clever was just more inclusive of what we do today. But back when we started, it was a really important piece for us to call out. And we used girls on purpose rather than women or, you know, feminists or female or something because we just... We wanted to indicate that, you know, it was kind of girly and that we weren't taking ourselves too seriously, but that it was very specifically a a feminine approach to how we're doing it, uh, how we were, you know, running our business and the people with whom we were working, who at the time were bloggers. And it was all, it was all mommy bloggers, which isn't, you know, a terrible expression, but the kind of now the industry accepted one. Uh, but but women writing about parenting, writing about their experiences, writing you know just kind of writing their personal feelings, and and also a bunch of lifestyle bloggers too. You know, not just writing about parenting. And we wanted to acknowledge that and just the power of those conversations, which were very important from a business perspective. I mean, this is why businesses want to work with influencers is because the people who are writing and sharing their opinions with their communities are the ones who are helping people decide how to spend their money. And in 2009, when we started, that was very specifically a group of women who didn't have a lot of, I guess you could call it respect from, from the world or from the advertising world, but they were, they were controlling 80, 90% of the household wallet. And so we just thought, let's, let's be upfront about it. That, you know, this is about, this is, this is women, girls talking about unabashedly female things, but also not take it too seriously. Now on the business side, we were all coming out of, you know, kind of various corporate kind of worlds. I think I probably had the most corporate of the worlds. 
and I was tired of being told how to that you know that there was one right way to do it when you know a lot of the things that a lot of the the, the advice that women get is to you know even even like the lean in advice is just how to be more masculine how to fit into a masculine world and we didn't feel like it <laughs> we just thought well what if that doesn't make sense what if that's not logical you know one of the things we were joke before we were recording we were joking about dogs barking and you know we we have different different new moms on our staff and everybody's got dogs and I think it's lovely and delightful when somebody when you hear a baby or a kid laughing in the background or when somebody's dog barks at the door because it's so real and human and you want to work with you know, regular people who care about important things like their babies and their pets. But that's not at all the corporate world. And so it's, you know, we've we've managed to articulate it a little bit more over the years, but we really started out wanting to just be able to be successful for being who we are, which is women who are, you know, we share too much, we're very transparent, we, we're very, very transparent, like we're so transparent, I have to say it three times. <laughs> you know, we... We care about, we're friends with each other. Like I said, I started it with my best friend. All those things that we just wanted to do it our way because we wanted to do it our way because it seemed right. So, I mean, no, that's a great answer. So Silicon Valley in the Bay Area has a reputation for being kind of a rough place to navigate for women. You know, I have friends out there and they've told me some stories that are just like horrifying. Can you, oh, yeah. I mean, my goodness, can you tell us how you're able to create this supportive environment for women who are succeeding in this digital world culture? I mean, really, just because we felt like it. Um, nice. <laughs> I mean, we just decided that we didn't care about the right way to do things. Uh, one example is like when we were trying to figure out, we got to, I don't know, I guess we got to like 10 or 15. So we have 47 employees now, I think, 46, 47 and there are different inflection points when you're when you're scaling that you're like, oh, my God, we have to figure this out. So we were at the point where we were like, oh, my God, we have to figure out about performance reviews because, you know, we have we have employees and they need to know how they're doing. And we have to figure out if we should pay them more. You know, just all of those things that you internalize as you're working in any any, you know, any kind of a work environment. And we could not get it to the place where we liked it. We tried this form. We tried that form. We tried thinking about. You know, there are all different kinds of tools that you can use to do 24-7 feedback or whatever. And it was finally, you know, Christy, Christy Samus is my, my third co-founder, or my, yeah, the third of, the third of us. So Christy, Stefani, and I are, are talking and kind of like trying to figure it out, workshopping it. And I think it was Stefania who finally said, well, why do we have to do it at all? And we kind of looked at each other with this, this now familiar, satisfied, we actually don't have to do it that way and so we just got rid of performance reviews it was that fast it was the same thing with vacation days like we don't track vacation time because you're an adult you're hopefully an a player who can handle themselves we have a virtual environment so you have to handle your handle your daily activity anyway why is why is two weeks vacation the right number for anybody to have an okay life if you can you can manage your time and get your goals done why can't you take off as many days as is fair, you know, across the board? So all of that, going, going back to your original answer, how did we manage to do it in Silicon Valley? Yeah. And I would say that it's because we don't have VC overlords. We are completely self-funded. We bootstrapped. We're also chronically undercapitalized. You know, that means we're always, you know, even eight plus years in, always really, really aware of money. And so I have, that's kind of when I think about what would I change that, or just, you know, things that I've learned 
is about, uh, it's sort of about money, but I still wouldn't go back and do VC because it is such a traditionally male. I mean, when we first started, uh, we were kind of talking to VCs, kind of exploring it because it's what you do out here. Mm-hmm. And we were told to put our pictures on our, on our bios and on our, on our decks so that they could see that we were young, attractive women. Yeah, it's, cupcake. Yes, they would cut. Thank you for that reminder. Yeah, I, I, I mean, I can go on for another five minutes about getting cupcaked. Do you want to hear about getting cupcaked? Yeah, please. <laughs> I do, and I, I, I do. Just want to jump in. I, I want to jump in really quick for anybody who isn't up on VC overlord. This is venture capitalists. Oh um, yeah. So like investors who would help you get going if you aren't going to bootstrap it. In theory, I mean, let's let's really unpack that. Venture capitalists will give you money with the idea that in a you know short time horizon, say three to five years at most, you will give them a huge return on investment for their money. So technology platforms or something, they'll give you a million dollars, but they expect you to cash out, get bought by Google in in three years for ten million dollars. So for that reason, they don't they're not really interested in a lot of what they call lifestyle businesses or services businesses because they don't grow that fast and they don't get that kind of value, you know, like regular businesses that just employ people and pay taxes and are a part of our regular economy are not right. interesting to venture capital, which is what Silicon Valley is, is all about. Yeah. So they're very, it's a very narrow kind of focus, but it's, you know, it's exciting, but it's narrow. But so back to getting cupcaked. So For sure. being a woman in business at all, not just Silicon Valley, but in business can be complicated and people can be really condescending. And I tend to call that getting cupcaked. So, for instance, I was trying to take our, like, let's be real, multi-million dollar business account, taking that to different banks to, you know, get line of credit, get just different, you know, just business checking. And this guy who I know had, I, I forget how I know, I had been introduced by someone who was a very senior person in consulting, and he was like, I don't know, vice president or something, and I looked him up on LinkedIn, so I knew he was about my age, so mid-40s at the time, and uh, he called me. He called me dear multiple times. He told me that I should be so proud of what I'd done. And I was like, yeah, thanks, I am. But just the the whole thing was just so like, wow, what a cute little business. Like he didn't, like he almost didn't believe me, like how much money we had going through here and, you know, what kind of financial, I need financial products. And I come from a financial services background, so I knew what I needed and it was a pretty straightforward conversation. And he just cupcaked me the, like for an hour. It was crazy. And I got off the phone with my CFO, who is a great guy who's been through, you know, many companies and, uh, although none quite like ours, I don't think. And he's a little bit older than I am. He's, you know, got a lot of experience, but, and, he, and he'd heard us talk about this getting cupcaked and how people talk down to us because we're women. And after the call, he said, you know, I'll, basically I'll never doubt you again. Like I could not believe the, the level of condescension. That came across it, and so I mean that happened. But every woman has a has every woman who's running a business has examples like this where people are just you know oh that's cute that you're doing that right. And I'm like well I have fifty you know forty something employees. It's not cute. It's it's commerce. You know it's real business. So so what do you do then in that case? Like do you well you what? give the business to someone else. He's the oh, one yeah. who didn't get the commission on. <laughs> <laughs> You know, all of those millions of dollars going through the account. So, I mean, that's that's you. You vote with your feet and you find a woman to make an introduction to someone who's going to be more respectful, which is more and more possible now. Yeah. Okay, so you, you were talking a little bit about your background in the corporate world. Mm-hmm. And I know, so you went from being a 
big badass bank <laughs> person. I'm not going to pretend to know what all you did, but you were very important. And then you became a professional blogger with me at AOL back mm-hmm. in the day, which, um, by the way, we just talked to Lindsay Miller. Oh, my gosh. Hi. <laughs> A small world. So so you went from that to that and then started Clever. Mm-hmm. So could you take us through a little bit of that journey? Um, because I feel like there are going to be a lot of people who are going to identify with the idea of like, okay, I need to get out of here. What do I do now? Yeah. Well, you know, it turns out there's a lot of, I don't know if it's discussion or research, but there are a lot of there's information out there that for women, you know, they talk about the, the leaky pipeline for women and how women start out as like 55% of all of the entry-level entry level positions, which I think is interesting because that means that men start out, men get to jump the entry level. But by the time we get into our 30s, in kind of mid-30s and, and older, we make up fewer and fewer of the management roles. And then by the time it gets to the CEO level, we're 5% of the CEOs. And that's crazy. That's not a leaky pipeline. That's broken. That's just where are we all going, you know? Now, part of it, it, part of it has to do with some really specific just cultural things like that we don't have great health care in the United States. We don't have great even maternity benefits. You know, so many, so many women struggle. I mean, one of the first and most important things for us when we were up and running financially and, and had it together. It took us several years to get to this point was to have paid maternity leave because we felt like we couldn't be a women-owned company without having that. But I still talk to a lot of different business owners who have companies, you know, small businesses under 50 employees. You don't have to have insurance for them, and so they don't. You have to provide, you know, you're not required to do a lot of things if you have under 50 employees. Mm-hmm. And that's just amazing to me. And that didn't answer your question. That was me getting side sidetracked. But, <laughs> That's okay. But, it's, but it's, it's important. It has to do with this. So back to me. So I was, I was at Wells Fargo, which was a great career experience for me. I learned a lot. I became a really uh, – I got a lot of skills as a manager. And there is actually more of a line that I draw sometimes, but I was managing an in-house agency. So I, without realizing, it was learning how to run an agency, which came in handy when we did open one. But just in terms of working in a pretty conservative corporate environment, I got into kind of my mid-30s, and I I was a vice president. I wasn't fancy-fancy. I was, you know, mostly successful, and I was, you know, proud of the work that I did there. Pretty fancy. But, you know, I started to look around, and the next level, the senior vice presidents, there were, you know, there were some senior vice president women who were senior vice presidents, but, you know, kind of fewer and fewer. Like, there was this weird attrition that was happening, and I... I got to a point where I looked around and I didn't see anyone who I wanted to be next in my career in that type of environment. There just literally weren't any, any role male or female. And that has to do with, you know, how I wanted to, how, how I wanted to be a manager, how I wanted to run a team, what I wanted to do. And the corporate world is really strict. Like you have to have those performance reviews. You only get to give a 2% raise. You don't get to make exceptions for people. You can't give them extra time off if they have a sick kid. I mean, you can, but you can't. You know, you can't. You can't run an organization from a pers- from a, a really human place. You just have to. You have to live within those those more corporate structures. And so I just decided that it wasn't for me, which I, apparently a lot of women do. Kind of towards their late thirties, you you kind of get into this place where you're just like, you know, I want to do something different. And so that's a part of the attrition that happens. In addition to you know, women have kids, you decide to not go back or you want to go back on a different schedule. 
and that wasn't my particular path. I, I, I don't have kids and I, you know, didn't, didn't want to, didn't plan to, that, that was fine. But I did want to have more of a, a more creative, satisfying career than I had in the corporate world. So I kind of had that, I don't even know what I was thinking and <laughs> left corporate and did some consulting and started blogging with, with you, Kristen, which was still one of my favorite times and jobs ever when we were writing all of those blog posts, like five or six blog posts a day for different oh, yeah. nights. Oh my gosh. It was a lot. That was great. That gave me real good insight into this new growing world of bloggers and PR people reaching out to you and offering you things and trying to figure out the ethics of how do I explain how I got this? Is it obvious that someone gave it to me for free? And do I have to write a good review? Do I have to write it at all? Yeah, Um, because it was Wild West at that point. Oh, my gosh, yeah, there were no rules. There were no no rules and, and, and no consensus at all. And so one of my consulting, and I love telling this story, one of my consulting gigs with along with all the AOL blogging was I was doing some marketing consulting for Yummy Tummy, which is Heather Thompson of the Real Housewives of New York's company. Really? And yes. I'm sorry. I'm a fangirl. <laughs> she's amazing. She's oh, yeah. She's great. Amazing. I like her. Yeah. So I was I was 40. She was 40. Stefania was 40. And so Stefania, and again, for, for not following along, she's my, my best friend who's my co- one of my co-founders. We had started this whole hashtag 40-whatever. We started a blog, 40-whatever, where we just talked about we were going to do things because – because it felt right. So kind of like the pre-clever ethos, clever ethos of let's do it because it seems like the right thing for us, not because it's what we've been told by society or any, you know, any kind of socialization of what we're supposed to do. And so with that, that kind of mindset, Heather, I'd been, you know, working with Heather, writing newsletters for her and giving her advice on how to work with bloggers. And she, after she fired, I think it was like her second social media agency which was a you know early early stages of social media agency. She said, you know, if you want to be my agency, if you want to start an agency, I'll be your first client. You know, women supporting women, women 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 supporting women, help you get going. Do you want to do this? And so I you know <laughs> got on the phone with Stefania. Was like, oh my god, we have to do it. This is the forty whatever thing. We can do this. We can start a company. It was two thousand and nine. There was a recession happening. We'd never been small business owners. Or, or run a small business. I mean, there was a lot that we didn't know, but not, we not thought, to mention what you were talking about, like doing like that almost didn't exist. I mean, the fact yeah. that she had had social media agencies before is like really, really uh, thinking that was really running, you know, and really that was at the time that meant they ran, they ran her Twitter account, you yeah. know, they helped her set up a Twitter account and run it. And you know, kind of helped her set up a blog, but didn't really. And I was writing the blog posts, I think. It was just, it was the Wild West in every way. But once we got over the excitement of, oh, my God, she said she'd be our client, we realized that there was a, there was a business need that we could meet in a, in a business-like manner and also help all of these bloggers who I started, I mentioned earlier, like just just weren't, or maybe I forget if I said this before, but there was also the question of can you pay bloggers? Is it ethical to pay people to do it? And we took the approach that it was only fair that if you want someone to do something, if you want a blogger to write a post that will help you sell more things and therefore help you help your business be more successful, then it's a business relationship and that work deserves to be compensated. And it's pretty straightforward. Now, on the other, the flip side of that is that 
you know, PR firms were just, they were doing spray and pray where they would just send out product and, and hope someone would write something. And if they did write it, that they'd spell the name right. Mm-hmm. And if that maybe they'd include a URL back to the site or something. And we took all of that unpredictability out of it by, again, making it a business relationship and saying, if you're willing to, you know, if you're interested in this product and you want to, you know, do a review or, or write a post inspired by it or something, you'll get paid this many dollars and you'll agree to include, you know, include, spell the name right, you know, include the URL, include a, a picture that's not blurry <laughs> and actually shows the label or something. You know, and also and also adhere to these ethical and um, just professional standards. So we've always disclosed from day one that this was a sponsored a sponsored opportunity, and also just that they're they're committing to act professionally in their engagement with the brand, so that you don't have these. It used to be worse, but people would just post crazy, weird, not brand safe things. Um, yeah, <laughs> you know, like oversharing the the sexual antics kind of thing, and it just doesn't really go with a lot of. You know, the household products that are, you know, your household cleaning product product doesn't want to be in a post next to, and then we had these crazy sexual antics post. So, <laughs> Not most of so, them anyway. No, no. But So we provided a little stability, let's call it, a little predictability. And, I mean, in some ways I don't, I can't even tell you how it happened, but in other ways it was, it was a series of deliberate small decisions that added up to us being where we are now, which... I don't know, it still feels pretty lucky. For all of the hard work, it feels lucky. Like the right time and the right place and the right partners, you know. Yeah, yeah. So so what's the best part of being a boss? And the follow-up question is, what's the worst? Yeah. Um, the best part is that getting to decide. Um, and it takes practice making decisions. You don't realize how, I mean, like you make decisions in life like, where should we go to dinner? Should we, you know, should I buy this car? But making decisions that will impact the financial security of however many people, including yourself, those are things. It's fun to make those decisions. It's fun to have the answer and be creative and get to do it your own way and to, you know, people can criticize you, but, but ultimately you get to decide. The responsibility is a lot, and, and you do have to figure out all the financial pieces of it. You know, is it, is it gonna, if you don't succeed, then there's no one to blame but you. Again, unless you have good partners, and I come, keep coming back to that because my partners are such an integral part of how I do what I do. You know, people, I, I have the CEO title, and so people tend to have an, a perception of that, that, you know, I'm like, I'm in charge and I'm running things. But we, the three of us do things really seamlessly and, and collaboratively. Um, and that would be, I, the worst to me would be to have to figure it all out alone because it's a lot to figure out. And so having two other people, like, you know, having three brains to figure out an answer is, is always a really good thing for us. Absolutely. Now, I want to go back to something you mentioned earlier about the open vacation policy that you don't, you know, people don't have two weeks. They, you know, get your stuff done and you get to go do what you want. So I am curious about how that really works. Like, how does that really play out in two ways, both for you as a boss employing other people and overseeing that they're getting their stuff done before they take off for Hawaii. Mm-hmm. And then also, how do you handle that personally? Because I, I know for a fact that you work a lot of hours, but I also know you really love your time <laughs> off. So, you know, cause we, we do something similar here, but we're, we don't have full-time employees. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's not, it's not the same. So I'm really curious how that works. And if you have any tips for people who are maybe 
going into that situation or considering implementing it in their own business? Yeah. Well, let me help me help me make sure that I, well, no, and you know, and the thing is, it's a lot of, there are a lot of questions there because it's actually way more complicated than we thought it would be. Yeah. But it, it, it's, it's, it makes sense for who we are and the way that we work for a few reasons. I mean, first of all, we're, like I said, completely virtual, entirely virtual. We don't have an office at all. So we might get together, we, we get everyone together once a year now, and it's, it's like planning a wedding. It's that big. And sometimes, you know, we'll do some work in persons with people who are, you know, if, if someone's visiting L.A., then they'll get lunch with the folks in L.A. Or, or something like that, or just people here in San Francisco will go up to my partner Christy's place in Napa on a, on a Friday and work in person there. But that means, what that means, though, is that you have a lot of flexibility, and so if you have a doctor, like all those little things that you'd use vacation time for, like, oh, I have a, I have a doctor's appointment, I have a hair appointment, I'm going to take half a day, you, you're trusted to get your work done and schedule your meetings and schedule your things so that you don't have to, like, officially take four hours off to go to the doctor. You know, and you can also be doing a lot of your work on, on your phone um, because of what we do. So a lot of those not taking a week off things, like if it's just a day or two, like that doesn't come into it. So that helps if you have a flexible enough work environment. Um, next level onto that. So, okay, say someone's going to Seattle from San Francisco from, to Seattle for the week to visit her sister who works during the day. You don't have to take that week off. You can just work from Seattle. So there's, there's another vacation thing that's not a vacation. You're just in a different location, but you're still logging in. So that removes some of the complexity. What it doesn't do, though, is there's still that, that kind of emotional reaction of, like, wait, isn't she in Seattle? And it's like, yeah, but she's not on vacation. She's working during the day. And so you have to be aware of it and have good communication about it. The other thing, so when people take a vacation, they're truly, truly taking a vacation. They're not just, like, that halfway logging in, halfway halfway doing that. So, wow, it sounds really messy as I'm describing it. So <laughs> stop me if it's, if it's getting confusing. No. but. But basically, when someone says, all right, I'm taking these three days off, they're truly taking the days off. They're not logging in. They're not taking their computer with them because if they're doing that, then they don't have to take the day off. They're actually still working. That makes sense. And I, yeah, and I think that's, you know, specifically because we don't have an office to come into. We also, we track anyway because especially as you get bigger, it's important to track things to make sure that you're treating everyone fairly and consistently. And the only way to do that is to actually keep track of it. And again, to that like kind of emotional feeling of like, wait, wasn't she just in Seattle last week? And I do that as a manager. Sometimes I do that. I'll be like, wait, wasn't she, wasn't she just in like Eastern time zone when I called her? Like what's, what's going on? So to, to have it and to, to have your factual check, like just the facts to check it and be really clear and specific and just simple about it. Like, are you taking the day off or not? If you're not, then you're going to be here during the, during these hours, and you're going to get your things done. So communication is a big thing. Tracking is a big thing. Okay, and then what other questions were in there? So I was also curious, when you know that you've got a lot to do, and I'm sure that you could continually work if you so chose, um, <laughs> how – And but you also have – you know, you can just go on vacation because the time mm -hmm. is there and available. So how do you balance that? Like how do you make yourself take time off, and how do you make yourself not take all the time off? Yeah. So going back to checking, you know, tracking people, I think I took the most time off last year. I think I took three weeks off officially last year because I was doing, because I am lucky enough to get to take, you know, different trips. 
I just lost the question. Sorry. <laughs> Circle oh, me back. Okay. So how, um, I mean, I just, and, and uh, you know, the reason I lost it is because I was thinking about, I was in Italy, but I was, I had Wi-Fi, so I was checking my email for things. So the answer is <laughs> you do what you don't. <laughs> if you're running the company, even if you have good partners, you don't really ever go away, go away for more than a day or two. Okay. And that kind of answers the other part of the question was how do you make yourself take that time off? Sometimes it's more stressful to be away. It kind of depends on what else is going on and who else is away. I mean, there was there was one time when I think all three of the founders were planning to be away, and it, it didn't work out like that. But I was like, oh, my God, I, I don't think I could let myself, you know, not, not keep checking because we are so, so a part of every single thing that happens. But, you know, just one of us, like Stefania, is in Rome right now. And so Christine and I are able to – she's still checking in, you know, just kind of because we also – our, our personal lives overlap, so we're still texting. But so if something big happened, we would tell her immediately. But she's able to have a good time and enjoy herself. And just, you know, it's the same thing. Because we have two trusted partners at any given time, it's – you can relax and enjoy yourself. But I care a lot about this. You know, we all do. And, and it's important to me, and it's – Kind of, I, and again, one of the like the non-traditional things is that it is a big part of my identity. You know, it's it's kind of my hobby right now, in addition to my career. Like it's everything. So, you know, it's okay to not be totally, totally away. But you are a huge fan of travel, right? And so, oh, I am. Yeah. So, can you tell us some of your favorite destinations? And is there something on your bucket list you need, you need to check out? Yeah. Okay, so my favorite trip, my favorite com- it's a combination of trips, but this is the the perfect combo, is to do like two weeks in Italy where you do a lot of travel. So there's a difference between travel and vacation. So you do like two weeks in Italy, you eat well, you see all kinds of beautiful museums and churches and just beautiful scenery and things. You come home, do your laundry, and then you go to Hawaii where you go on vacation for another week. So you get all of the, like, your brain having to work with another language and different currency while you're in, in Italy or Europe or whatever. But then you come home, and I live in California, so Hawaii is, like, easy, easier for me. You come home and you go to this tropical paradise where you know the language, the money is the same. It's all really, really easy. It's just pure vacation. And that is the one-two combination that I, that I love. Um. <laughs> I, I like it too. <laughs> I, I would come for, with you for that trip if you need if you need a I don't know somebody to carry a bag. A Sherpa. It's the, well, it's the dreamiest combination of foods too. You know, Italian food is mm-hmm. so fun. Hawaiian food is so fun. Um, and then for my bucket list, I have I have everywhere on my bucket list. We're gonna we're gonna be going to France for my cousin's wedding in the fall, which is fun. And I haven't been there for a long time. But I would love to go to Japan sometime soon and New Zealand. So everywhere. I want to I want to go everywhere. Let's add South America to that, too. I would love to go to Peru. So I would like to go to all the places. Good thing you've got that open vacation policy. <laughs> <laughs> oh, all right. Well, so obviously, Kat, I could talk to you all day. Yes. But we, you are a busy woman. And so we're going to wrap up with just one last question. And that is something that we ask everybody at the end of the podcast. And what is the last song you listened to before you joined us for this interview? Um, oh, God. It was The Strokes um, last night. Oh, cool. Oh, that's yeah. Good. Yeah, I was just reading a cool Vulture art, article about them and then had to go listen to that song. 
It's a great Excellent. song. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. Kind of, it's kind of classic rock now. <laughs> <laughs> no kidding. Yeah. Cool. That's a fun question to wrap up on. <laughs> well, thank you so much yeah. for being on the show. You're, you're a great guest. It was very informative. Thank you. Thank you for your patience as I, you know, reached for some of those answers. This was really fun. Love this show? Tell us why in a five-star review on iTunes, and we'll read it on the air. Also, make sure you are a subscriber. If you want to reach out to say hi or have a question about a recent episode, yay, well, feel free to email us at podcast at fitbottomgirls.com. And if this podcast jives perfectly with your brand, consider sponsoring the show. Get more info by emailing advertising at fitbottomgirls.com. Find all kinds of Fit Bottom goodness online and on social media at Fit Bottom Girls, Fit Bottom Mamas, Fit Bottom Eats, and Fit Bottom Zen. And if books and movies are your thing, check out the other podcast I co-host called Book vs. Movie, which you can find anywhere where you search for podcasts. Thanks for listening.